Welcome to episode 119 of Cowboys Drive for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Philip Slavin. How's it going? I'm doing all right, JP. How are you, bud? I'm doing well. This is, we got a pretty exciting episode, a packed episode, so there's a lot to talk about, and it's, it's, been, it's been pretty fun to record these for sure. Who says there's nothing to talk about in the offseason? Who says that? That's that's garbage. That's, yeah. that's garbage. We've also found plenty to talk about, which helps too. It's not like there's a lot of pressing stories, but we've been able to get some great interviews. We have three great ones in this episode. We're leading off with an uh, interview with Brentley Romine of the Golf Channel. Talk about Matthew Wolf's win, Victor Hovland's success. And then uh, we have an interview with Anise McKaywan, who is a uh, Oklahoma State grad and now works in Louisville as a sports editor and uh, sports anchor. And then we have our site manager, Micah Allen, on to discuss Big 12 media days and the preseason uh, all Big 12 poll, as well as the conference uh, standings uh, preseason poll there as well, all conference team as well. That's what I meant. Yeah, it's a loaded episode. Like we were going to have, you know, we had to talk Wolf. That, that win last weekend was huge. I'm loving these these Big Twelve or these OSU media conversations, and Nice was fantastic. Had a lot of fun with it. And Big Twelve Media Days is next week. Uh, myself and Micah will be both be there. I won't be there on behalf of CRFF, but we're both going to be there. There's a lot to get excited about. Got to vote in the preseason team. Got to vote in the preseason poll. Like it's there's a lot to talk about this week. And next week is really to me the kickoff of football season. Like once you get to media days, it's 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 the start of football season. I know there's still a lull there as we, but there's there's going to be so much to talk about and write about and, and and discuss and break down after we get a chance to talk with Mike Gundy and really the rest of the Big Twelve coaches and and players in attendance. Yeah, I I think I mentioned I mentioned this in the interview uh, with Micah that I just haven't quite gotten into football mode just yet just because of all the baseball work that I do as well, but. I am getting very excited for Cowboy football, and I think Big 12 Media Days, I remember last year, it was the same way that once that hit, then I'm, I'm ready for, for football season because there's actually stuff to talk about with stuff that coaches are saying. We're not having to speculate about too much anymore, and it, it, it's getting exciting. We're, the summer's flying by, and it, we're getting that much closer to fall camp and kickoff. Yeah, it's – you know, it's funny – I don't feel like the off season, the off season to me really is that last couple of weeks before football season starts where, yeah, there's a lot to talk about, but there's not like, it's basically like little league world series. Yeah. That's about it. Like, don't get me wrong. We've still got, you know, WNBA is going on, which is fun. And national women's soccer league is going on. But if you don't care about those things and I understand if you don't, that's fine. Like really the lull comes in August. There's a lot to talk about and anticipate, but the lull comes because it's like waiting for Christmas morning. You're just sitting there like it's Tuesday uh, and and now it's Monday. Wait, we're going backwards just trying to get to football season start? Like feels that so way for sure. This 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 coming Monday and Tuesday are big. Uh, this episode was just a lot of fun. It just it's sometimes, you know, when you go looking for stuff to talk about, you find some really interesting things. And I think that's kind of where this one this one went. Yeah, definitely. When we once Matthew Wolf got the win on Sunday in the three M Open, we decided we like we had to lead off with some golf talk. Like it, it just needed to happen, uh, especially with how awesome it was watching him get the win as well in clutch fashion. But just the way he played all weekend, shooting a nine under sixty two or something like that on Saturday, and then winning on a twenty five foot eagle putt was just awesome. And it's it's so cool to see in his fourth start uh, for Matthew Wolf to get his first career win. Yeah, I'm. That was so big and so cool. Like it's really cool 
And and this conversation with Brantley is a lot of fun. Just just breaking down, kind of projecting ahead for Wolf and projecting ahead for Hovland, who seem like they're going to have two very different careers, but both are probably going to be pretty successful um, in the PGA moving forward. Yeah, this might be an overreaction, and I'm just going to say it now because I'm probably I think I end up bringing it up in the uh, Brentley interview, anyways. But I'll fire the hot take cannon here. After watching Wolf this weekend and the way he played on Sunday, ice in his veins, like I'm going to go win this thing. And granted, it's the 3M Open. Bryson DeChambeau is really the only well-known guy of you know the starters. But that being said, I just have this feeling that. Matthew Wolf will end up winning a major before Ricky. And I even think there's a pretty good chance that Victor Hovland might end up winning a major before Ricky as well. These two guys are special, and what they did at Oklahoma State is just continuing to prove into their pro careers how good they are. Obviously, Matthew Wolf getting the victory early on in his career. But Victor Hovland, in his fourth start, third or fourth start, he's finished top 15 in every event that he's been in, as well as being the low amateur at the Masters and putting on a great show at the PGA Championship as well. Like These guys are special, and they're going to be very, very good and well-known household names for years to come. Yeah, I, I, We've been impressed with them while they were at OSU. I don't, I don't think we really have are going to realize just how, how special these two were until we get a few years into their, their pro career and we, we see what, what we think they're going to do. So. And without further ado, we will get into our interview with Brentley Romine. He's the assistant editor at the Golf Channel. But before we do that, uh, we have a quick word from our sponsor. I'm currently joined by Brentley Romine. He is an assistant editor over at the Golf Channel. This is his second time on the podcast. Philip has gotten to talk to him. This is my first time having a conversation with him. Brentley, thank you very much for joining the CRFF podcast once again. Joel, it's good to be on. Absolutely. So brought you on. Uh, we needed to talk about some golf stuff, obviously, with Matthew Wolf having the his first career win uh, as a pro last week or over the weekend on Sunday, a very dramatic win over at the 3M Open and the success Victor Hovland's had so far in his pro career as well. And even when he was an amateur playing at the Masters and the PGA Championship, we had to have you on to kind of break down their success. Yeah, it's just been insane, right? I mean, we all kind of had a feeling or, you know, there, you know, we we knew that the potential was there for, for these guys, but, you know, to see – you know, Matt make that putt and not even look at it go in before he starts pumping his fists and celebrating. Like it was kind of surreal. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't think any of us expected it to happen that quick, but I think we all expected it to happen at some point. Yeah. I think the best part of him making that putt was the sideline reporter. If you want to call it, that was saying there's no chance he was going to be able to make it. And he just sunk it like oh, it was yeah. nothing. No, it it uh, uh, it was Faldo. He, he he was like, slow down, slow down, you know, because he, he he was worried about him having like a ten footer coming back, which it it did have some pace on it. But I guess when you bang it off the uh, flag stick, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's been great to see him have success. And I mean, I think on Saturday, moving day, he shoots a sixty-two nine under. So he's definitely here. What I mean, how? I mean, did, was this something that everyone saw coming? Like the immediate success. 
especially for obviously Wolf getting the victory, but then Victor Hovland as well being in the top 15 of every tournament that he's had been in in his pro career as well. Was this something that people really saw coming this early, or is this a little bit of a surprise despite the success that both had at Oklahoma State? Yeah, I, I, I mean, watching them play the last couple of years in college and even, you know, as, as juniors, I mean, heck, I think I met Javi when he was like 14 caddying for Christopher Wrighton and then U.S. junior. Um, but, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, like I said before, like we all knew the uh, the potential for these guys to succeed right away was there. It's just kind of, you know, you kind of need to see it happen. And, you know, honestly, before this past tournament, you know, Javi has had the better start to his pro career. He's just been, you know, maybe not in contention, but, you know, top 15s, uh, you know, playing well at the U.S. Open. And then, um, obviously, Wolf didn't have quite the start we expected. You missed the cut at the Travelers, um, missed the secondary cut uh, at the, is it the Rocket Mortgage Classic? So, yeah, yeah, so, I, I mean, I would say that if, before the you know before the 3m open if you said all right one of these guys is is gonna win this week i think we all would have put our money on on victor because you know matt just for whatever reason kind of struggled out of the gates but now you know the the storyline's a little bit different going into this week although i mean look at who the fa- the betting favorite was going into the john deere classic this week i mean javi at 18 to 1 and Colin Morikawa, Neiman, Matt Wolf, like the next three. I mean, that's kind of shows you what, uh, you know, what people think of these guys now. Yeah, I, speaking of Colin Morikawa, watching him and Wolf go back and forth on Sunday was just as impressive. And then you throw Hobie, Hobby in there as well. Are we looking between Colin Morikawa, Matthew Wolf, and Victor Hovland as one of the best rookie classes to come in to to the PGA Tour in recent memory? Oh yeah, I mean. Definitely, because, you know, people, you know, I've seen some comparisons, you know, between, you know, is this class of 2019 better than the class of 2011? Well, you got to take a step back and realize that the class of 2011, we're talking about a high school graduating class. You know, uh, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Rogers, T. Pan, um, Justin Thomas, you know, they all graduated high school, but they all turned pro at different times. And, uh, you know, so it's... It's really, as far as we're talking about summer classes of guys turning pro, I mean, this is really as, as good as as good as I can remember. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not that old, so I really can't speak, uh, you know, to what we've seen 20, 25 years ago. But, I mean, this is as much excitement. And, I mean, you talk about those three, but you got to throw Justin Sun there, too, the senior from USC, um, you know, who's, who's been playing pretty well as well. So those four, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty dang good foursome for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's great for the future of the sport as well. With as many successful guys that we have, you know, in the prime of their careers and coming out. Now we have this next wave. It makes it very exciting to see kind of the the juxtaposition of both, you know, career paths. You know, with all, everyone coming in, it makes it very entertaining for everybody to watch. Especially, you know, I I, I dream one day of seeing like a Wolf Mickelson Woods pairing. That would just be. That would be hilarious. I, I would love to see that. And just, just because of how different Matthew Wolf is from the traditional golfer, just with how funky his swing is, but that he can bang the ball too. Like, it, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, this is just a new PGA Tour. I mean, these these guys even going back, you know, for the last, you know, five or so years, I mean, these these guys are coming out and turning pro more prepared than ever. And, um, you know, I, I think it's not going to be long before guys like Matthew Wolf are just dominating, you know, kind of the cookie cutter, you know, kind of old guard like a Zach Johnson or 
um, you know, some of those guys who you wouldn't necessarily call them exciting players to watch. So, I mean, the tour's in a really good spot. And, heck, I mean, if if uh, Cam Champ could ever figure it out, man, I, I could just imagine some of those battles with Wolf, those guys pounding 450-yard drives at Augusta to win the Masters one year. That'd be crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So I, this is something I, I didn't even think of until right now, but I've seen – in you know tweets and stuff that people have written about Matthew Wolf, especially since he sunk the putt to win the national championship for Oklahoma State last season, that there are people talking that he's going to change the sport. In what oh. way do you see him change? Is it just because he's so unorthodox and different, or is he just that good that he could be one of these top guys that we're talking about for the next 15, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Twitter and, and social media has certainly, you know, helped get this hype train rolling. But I mean, he's he's just the total package. I mean, he has it all. And, you know, w- w- us us as golf fans, you know, and, and average golfers to, you know, put it put it nicely. Um, you know, w- we like seeing people do things that we can't do and not many other people can do. So to see Matt with a easily identif- uh, identifiable swing like that and be able to pump three, 350-yard drives with ease, I mean, that's something that people are going to get, you know, drawn to. And, you know, on top of that, you know, played for Oklahoma State, won an NCAA title, has a great personality. I mean, he's probably one of the coolest kids. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of youngsters try to model that swing. And I think I even saw uh, George Gankus somewhere was talking about how he's had people already come up to him and ask him to teach them how to swing it like you know like wolf and uh so i i think that's pretty telling and uh you know he, he's definitely one of those guys that um is is going to change the game and um you know it, you're a little hesitant about saying that just because it's you know we're only three starts or four starts now into his uh his pro career but he's already got a victory and uh you know all all signs right now seem to be uh you know pointing toward him changing the game and plus i mean I, I like right before you uh, called. You know, I, I, I was looking up at uh, I was looking at like Wolf's inst- uh, Instagram following. He's already got one hundred four thousand followers on Instagram. And then I'm like, all right. So I started looking at some other pros. I mean, Patrick Rogers has has forty thousand. I look on Twitter. Wolf's got double the or more than double the amount of following as Champ. So people are already on board. I mean, people are already talking about him and. Uh, you know, it's going to be exciting to see how the summer progresses. If he can win again, I think he's got a good chance to win this week too. I think, looking at the scores right now, um, you know, he's he's four under with one hole to play in the first round. So he's right in the thick of things again, and I think it's going to be a theme. Uh, you know, as, as we finish out the summer and you know, start the fall. Yeah, absolutely. So. I, I've mentioned I mentioned this to you off air, and for those who don't know, I'm a baseball guy by trade. I do scouting and player like I love player development and all that stuff. And one thing that you know the draft experts do when we're looking at college and high school guys coming into the pros, we like to comp them to other guys in their careers, like based on mechanics or just the way that they play. If you could do that for just honestly to amuse me for a second, but for anyone listening, if you could comp. Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf to anybody in professional golf right now, who would you think that, you know, they kind of either in the way they play or swing mechanics, whatever it could be, what, what would you comp Hobie and uh, Wolf to? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I can't take credit for this one, but my, uh, my colleague Ryan Lamner has 
you know, for about a year now compared Victor Hovland to Paul Casey. You know, they, they kind of have similar builds. Um, they, they, they have similar games, kind of similar demeanors, um, similar looking swings. Um, but that being said, I think Victor is, you know, he's pretty on par ball striking wise, but he's definitely a better putter. Uh, and I think a lot of guys are better putters. Okay. That's yeah. So I guess my, and this, this is something I was thinking about after he won, uh, after Wolf won on Sunday, you know, as much as we all love Ricky Fowler here at Oklahoma state, and he's a hell of a golfer and is one of the most known guys in the sport right now. But we've seen it time and time again where he's in it on Sunday but just can't finish the job, and especially in majors. And Victor Hall, or in Matthew Wolf, obviously the 3M Open is small potatoes compared to like the Masters or the British Open PGA Championship. But the way that Wolf played on Sunday, kind of coming from behind and then making that putt just ice in his veins – is it too far out of the realm of possibility that maybe a guy like Wolf or even Hovland, for that matter, could win a major before Ricky Fowler? Oh yeah, definitely. I I, I think I knew where this question was going, you know, f- f- from the first word. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, now I, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm I'm not trying to rag on on uh, Fowler, but same. I didn't and I didn't mean that at all in my yeah head, yeah. But, I mean, we, yeah, we've but, seen it time and time again that he's kind of the lovable loser on tour like yeah it sucks yeah, saying sure. that but it's just kind of how yeah, it's been you know great guy great player you know and i i don't think he he's obviously won tour events and he's played well at at, at majors and i i don't think it's really anything like in his makeup that he hasn't been able been able to get it done it's just that he just hasn't got it's always going to take a little bit of luck you know and i mean even tiger woods when he won the masters this year he got a little bit of luck because a bunch of guys hit it in the water on 12 because of you know the wind was kind of um you know swirling and you know that's just it's it's mainly a guess hitting that that green on on sunday to that pin so it, it always takes a little luck and i just don't think ricky's had it but i don't really see ricky really hasn't shown anything uh recently to recently to where he's really taken that even next step so i, I mean I, I think i'm prepared to go out on a limb and say either victor or or wolf wins before you know wins a major before uh ricky does yeah I, th- I think it's an interesting thing to think about but i don't think it's a bad problem to have to have that many oklahoma state guys being that good no no not time especially for just how good the program is but i mean when yeah. you talk about a guy like the way that Hovland and Wolf have kind of taken the tour by storm this quickly. I and it's not from just viral clips and stuff. It's being successful, especially at this early stage of their career. I and with the way Hovland played at the Masters, that again oh. showed me that he can play with the big dogs too. And he could have right now. You know, he can right now as we've seen. And Matthew Wolf kind of like you talked about, kind of changing the game a little bit. I think these are two guys that are going to go back and forth. And even though they're teammates and all that, I think they're going to be competing on Sundays quite a bit in some final pairings for, for major championships. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I will admit half of me probably makes that prediction just because it's one of those things that if it happens, you look really smart. And if it doesn't, people forget about it. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Having a hot take like that, I don't think it's uh it's not that yeah. outlandish that, you know, if you're wrong, it's like, Oh, well, there's plenty more tournaments, but if you're right, you'll look yeah. amazing. Right. Yeah, I'm just it's it's like playing with it's playing at the casino with like house money, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> but no, I I also saw a stat. I, I think it was Justin Justin Ray on Twitter, um, who who posted that 
that Wolf's the seventh player in the last 80 years to win on tour before turning 21. The other six, they've all won at least three majors. So that, that, that was pretty striking. You got Tiger, Seve, Phil, uh, Ray Floyd, Rory, Spieth. I mean, that's pretty good company. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put my eggs in those baskets. Right. And then I, I saw also after he, uh, after he won on Sunday, that he's one of only three guys to win the NCAA individual title and a PGA Tour in the same year with Tiger Woods and Ben Crenshaw. I'd say that's yeah, pretty Crenshaw. good company as well, even smaller company. Yeah, I mean, that's that, those are pretty, you know, it's almost right now it's still one of those things. It's not like the other, but maybe in 10 years we're, we're talking about all those guys in this, you know, the same sentence. Absolutely. Well, Brentley, thank you very much for your time today. This has been very fun, very informative, and we're glad to have you on again. Uh, sorry, Philip couldn't join us, but uh, this has been really appreciated. Thank you so much. Yeah, hope to be on soon. All right, take care. See ya. joined by Anise McEwen. She is the sports anchor and reporter for WDRB, the Fox affiliate in Louisville, Kentucky. She's an Oklahoma State graduate, and she's here to talk about her time at Oklahoma State and her endeavors in the professional world. Anise, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. No, this is this is awesome. So um, for those who've been following the podcast of the summer, this is kind of a thing that we're doing, just discussing sports media um, and things related to that with people who came from Oklahoma State. Um, so the reason that I we have Anise on today is not just because she's from OSU, but I've been following her on Twitter for quite some time. And if you don't follow Anise, let me just go ahead and throw this out there. Go do it, like, immediately. <laughs> she is a riot. Um, she is hilarious. And she has no bones about sticking up for herself, which is awesome and tons of fun. Um, we will talk about all that in a bit. But Anise, I just... I just want to start, kind of go back and start with, with your time at Oklahoma State. What years were you there? And, and just kind of talk about your experience going through sports media there in Stillwater. Um, I came to, to Stillwater, I graduated high school in 12. So um, I was there 12 through 16. Um, and uh, originally from Oregon, so it was kind of a ways away from home. But my mom, yeah, my mom had gone to Oklahoma State. She's from Indiana. My dad's from Oregon. She had gone to Oklahoma State, um, as she says, way before Boone Pickens. So uh, she was there a long time ago. Um, she'll love me saying that. And they sent me things. And actually, that's kind of how I even got interested in Oklahoma State. And then to find out they had a sports media program, which is what I always wanted to do. That kind of got me into it. And um, so I will say I didn't take a step on campus until my first day of my freshman year. Fortunately, it worked out really well, but um, a lot of people were like, you didn't even visit Stillwater? I was like, nope. I came down, what is it, 51 um, with all the dirt roads, and I was like, oh, oh no, I might have made a mistake here, <laughs> but um, it, it was great. Um, you know, I, I wrote for the Ocali for, for a couple of years, um, then with O-State TV and, um, and that whole thing, I got to do some really cool stuff with that, you know, covering football, covering men's basketball, softball, baseball all that. So that's kind of what I did uh, while I was there. And then, you know, when I graduated, I was fortunate enough to have a job lined up in, in Champaign, Illinois, and kind of just dive headfirst into the TV business, so to speak. So going back to, like you mentioned, all the things you got to report on and cover, what was your favorite story or the most entertaining story that you got to cover while you were at Oklahoma State? 
Um, well, I, I still talk to people a lot. Um, not that I covered it, but uh, what I see as a very valuable experience while I was there, and I can't remember the year, but it was, you know, all of us Poke fans and Pokes know about, you know, when Sports Illustrated dropped that. Um, oh, yep. Just dev- devastating article on Oklahoma State football, but failed to mention a billion-dollar don- donor as, well, as to why they got good at football. But um, and, and for the record, I mentioned that to everybody that I've worked with in Illinois and here, and nobody remembers it. So that's how effective that investigative journalism was. Um, <laughs> but, Air quotes around investigative journalism. Right, Air quotes. Right. Thanks, Thad. Um, I... Uh, that was cool for me because we got to, as it happened, you know, prior to it, it being released during the release and then how OSU's PR department handled that and, and why it wasn't necessarily the greatest bit of journalism ever done for sports illustrated to be in the midst of that and to conversate, uh, converse with my professors during all of this and get their takes. And just, I loved it. You know, it was really eye opening for me. Um, and I think it was beneficial in just how, okay, this is what to do, this is what not to do, and, you know, this is why things happen the way they do. But it, it was really good conversation for me. So that, by far, not necessarily my favorite because it, you know, wasn't great for Oklahoma State, but my favorite as just a learning experience heading, heading into my professional career. So let's stop here because this is really interesting. Um, let's see how the sausage was made a little bit. What were some of the takeaways you got from that whole experience? And what were some of the things, you know, that, that your professors were pointing to as like, this was terrible and, and this was wrong, or this was actually done well. Um, well, first of all, you know, to, to have a, an OU, uh, person behind a story, even if you are, you know, the top tier journalists, um, you're always going to get questions and, and it's just kind of a, a reflective thing as a journalist like yeah maybe I could do a tell-all on OU but is it going to look great even if I'm the most unbiased investigative reporter out there what's it going to look like to the rest of the nation when I choose to go after OU or you know Texas or any you know really any of the big 12 schools in that manner but specifically your rival you know to put to put him on that was was a mistake and then you know we also talked about um how it really wasn't you know in journalism something I've learned over my years is my job at the end of the day is why should anyone care about what I'm telling you about? And that goes from high school football to girls field hockey state championships to a UK in a final four basketball game. Why, why should anyone care beyond what they see in front of them? And we saw with that, those pieces and those publishings that they just reported a lot of what we've already known and assumed about college football, that they received money they drink they smoke and you know sometimes they don't treat women very well that was not you know they didn't break any anything new and then they failed to to put in probably the most pivotal part of why osu football has become what it has in most recent years was my gundy and uh, of course been boone pickens so um just on a you know basic level of journalism nobody cares you know bring me something that really is going to stir the pot that really is interesting that didn't people no, give me some insight as to why it's happened. And there was none of that in there. On the flip side, we talked a lot, especially about the PR of Oklahoma State and how quickly after they were notified about this, how quickly their sports information department launched this, you know, online campaign to, you know, go on the offense with what was going on to have, you know, donors and, and alumni come in and say, I, that's false, whatever, let's discredit this. 
and they they were ahead of it and they kind of set the blueprint as far far as how you handle quote unquote controversy uh within your your sports department that's really interesting i didn't i didn't didn't really equate the whole you know setting the blueprint for how people have done it moving forward but looking back and thinking about that yeah that's that's a fair that's accurate that's really good they kind of, they, you know, if, if you line them up, they kind of came out on top. You know, as I said, I go all over different states and nobody remembers it. And and for that, that's exactly what you want when you're PR is to no one remember when you were supposed to be devastated by SI, you know, what was it, four or five part series. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah. Hey, it, it's, it's worse to be forgotten than to, you know, you'd rather be thought of poorly than not thought of at all. So. Right. It's generally the rule, you know, but no, that's awesome. Okay. So. So after Oklahoma State, uh, you said you had the the job waiting for you in Champaign. Um, what was what was the experience like when you actually got into doing? I worked in local news for like seven years. Um, I wasn't in sports. I was just I was like a morning producer and then a, and a, and a PA for a while. Um, okay. But for you, what was what was what's the experience been like so far? Just working in like local TV sports news. I mean, I have to give a shout out to my first sports director, Brett Behrens, who kind of took me under his wing. And, you know, looking back, I think a lot of us wish, you know, despite the experience that I got, I wish I had more. I wish I knew had known more about cameras and editing and just the day to day of of sports news and, and sports casts and things like that. Fortunately, I had an awesome sports director right out of college who taught me the ins and outs of of TV and what we do and what to expect. And so I would say that first six months that I was in Champaign, Illinois, was just a major overhaul of learning. And fortunately, I just had a lot of patience with me uh, through that process. But, you know, along with that, I got a lot of great experience. I um, That was the first year that Levy Smith took over the Illinois football program. Um, and that was the last year for their head coach, Mike Gross, in basketball. Um, so I learned a lot of transition, hirings and firings, how you cover new coaches. Um, and then, you know, of course I come to Louisville, it's the same thing. So I had some experience with that. Um, the biggest thing that, that was different was to cover programs that weren't necessarily respected in not just nationally, but in their conference, you know, Illinois football, Illinois basketball, they've had historically some success, but at the time I've, I've came in, they were pretty much at the bottom of the big 10 barrel. So, um, you know, just to not only cover programs with new coaches, but to cover them and, you know, how, how, how many times can I say, you know, Illinois football stinks, you know, how can I cover a game that they get blown out by 40 by Ohio state? I mean, it's, it's a whole nother challenge. It's, you know, it's great when you're covering a team that goes to new year's six bowls and, you know, the tournament stuff, but how do you cover teams that don't, that are in a rebuild process that are firing coaches? I mean, it's a whole different thing that you have to do and you know sometimes it for lack of a better term it sucks like who wants to talk about a team that can't win games that doesn't have respect in its own conference you know it's it's its own challenge and that was probably the biggest learning experience while I was there was you know how do you how do you handle this and unfortunately Louisville had a season similar uh where they just kind of got blown blown out in the ACC and um on the flip side UK had a very good season so uh I feel like I have a lot more experience of uh covering sports which isn't always the most fun thing to do when you talk to players again and again and again after losses. Uh, before Joel asks this question, I want to talk about that. We had um, Cody Stavenhagen on for last week, and, and he raised a point that I thought was really interesting. Was he's moved over to the covering the Detroit Tigers, and it's the first time he's really had to cover a 
bad team, a team that's losing, and a team that looks like they're going to be losing for a while. Mm-hmm. And it, it gets difficult. You know, we've, we've had OSU basketball's been down for a little while, and you, you what what did you learn just trying to figure out how to not only cover and write about a team that's not good for, I mean, no other terms, but getting and keeping fans engaged? Because that's the hardest thing. Is clicks matter so much, especially with digital nowadays, and getting people to actually want to to digest the what you're writing and reporting, what have you learned as far as how to, how to do that successfully when, you know, you're trying to keep a fan base that doesn't care about a team that's losing engaged. Right. And, you know, as Illinois as a whole uh, school is not super thrilled about uh, their football team, but you do have the added access that comes with a losing program. And, you know, we're seeing this with, you know, when Bobby Petrino left and Scott Satterfield came in from Appalachian state, the access just blew wide open because they know that, you know, this is, if they don't open their doors to you, they're not doing themselves any favors. So when we, when I was there with Illinois football, they had two weeks of fall camp completely open the entire practice to media. And that just gives you a ton of content. So while it does kind of stink, there is, Oh, you're constantly allowed access that gives you opportunities to do more stories on athletes that you may have restricted access to in successful programs. You know, I, I always said, you know, people asked, what was my Gundy like? Well, my Gundy, because, you know, while we were there, um, I was obviously there for the Bedlam win at OU. Um, I was there for the Sugar Bowl blowout against Ole Miss. Um, but he, with the success he's had in the conference, has the ability to sometimes tell um, media, no, you can't do this interview. You know, like, it's unheard of with Illinois football to, to take access away from uh, first years. Uh, but that's the rule. At least it was when I was there at Oklahoma State. You couldn't talk to freshmen and you couldn't talk to first-year players. Uh, obviously, Illinois can't do that. Uh, they need they need you to have access to everyone. Um, so with that, I learned there is some perks to it. On the flip side, um, you have to get creative about stories, and you often have to cover a lot of recruiting things because that can sometimes be the only bright spot. Is okay, we you know just lost a game by 50 points, but hey, we got this four-star quarterback and everyone's pumped about it. And, you know, let's let's milk that story, so to speak, as much as we can because the fans will eat that up. And uh, if you followed me on Twitter when I was in Illinois, because we were granted this access to, to men's basketball and football, you know, I put together kind of goofy videos that were, you know, players dancing or goofing around and set it to music. And I can't see myself doing that at some other schools just because they wouldn't let you sit in on a workout for an hour and, you know, hear the coaches talk and whatnot. Cause they just, like I said, they're allowed to do that when you have a more successful program. Right. So now let's, so from your time in Champaign covering the university of Illinois, while you were there, your first year, Brad Underwood left Oklahoma state right after the NCAA tournament and decided to go to Illinois. What was it like covering that? Not only just from the perspective of covering the Illinois fighting Illini, but having some ties to Oklahoma state as well and seeing him leave, the school that you went to, to go to Illinois, where you were covering. Right. Um, well, kind of a funny story. I was actually, I think I was covering either a state semi or, or something along that line. Um, when all of a sudden my phone started blowing up, uh, on my drive back, which was about an hour and a half back to Champaign. And at that point we knew, you know, um, that uh, Travis was out but we hadn't hired yet. And so I, I look and it's a bunch of people from Oklahoma state that I hadn't talked to in a couple years 
that, you know, said, hey, tell him I said this. Hey, tell him I said that. And a lot of people, you know, understandably were were really angry about it. Um, of course, I always tell people the first interaction I had with uh, with Brad Underwood, and everyone knew I was from Oklahoma State. So they got, we met with him as he got off the private jet with the athletic director for Illinois. And one of the first things my sports directors, you know, was doing was interviewing him. And of course, you get the questions of, you know, where, what uh, restaurants do you like or whatever? And Brad said, you know, offhand, not knowing who I was, that he said, well, the selection is definitely a lot better than Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and everyone just kind of laughed and he kind of, you know, looked around and my sports director said, uh, she just graduated from Oklahoma State. Um, so so that was kind of funny. He, Insert foot into mouth. Yeah. yeah. Just like him throwing but, up the um, go pokes during the, when he said go Illini in his first uh, right. interview. Right. Um, So that was funny. Uh, I always had a fine relationship with Brad. He's great with media. I, you know, after you work so many years in this business, you lose a little bit of your your fandom and emotion with sports because you have to. Um, So I wasn't necessarily personally offended by him leaving. Um, I'm always under the, this goes for athletes, coaches, everyone. I don't blame anyone for taking a bigger paycheck anywhere. Right. and so for him to do that, and it was because, you know, Oklahoma State only offered so much money, you know, I don't blame him for leaving. He also, a lot of people at Oklahoma State didn't know that he had ties to Illinois. He, you know, had, he had coached at Western Illinois before he was at um, at Oklahoma State. So he had some ties. I didn't necessarily um, have any bad feelings towards him. It was always kind of a running joke, you know, and um, and things like that. But um as, as we can see, he's still rebuilding. He's still trying to process some things over at Illinois. So I know that satisfies a lot of Oklahoma State fans. I personally, as we were talking about before, would rather cover a team that's winning a lot. So I wanted him to do well. Um, but all things aside, he really he's great with the media. Um, he's a very emotional guy, so you get a lot of great sound bites from him. I think he gets along with a lot of players. But he does you know, have some controversy with, with his coaching style. It's very in-your-face. And, you know, there was some rumors that some of the former players that transferred didn't necessarily agree with that. Um, so it, it was an experience. Um, I never passed on any of the messages that people wanted me to because you don't usually <laughs> tell a coach, you know, the F word when you meet them. That's not usually my uh, way of, of greeting people. Um, but I will say um, that he is he was always great with the media um, we always had positive experiences with them. So I don't necessarily have any ill feelings towards Brad. Um, and I, and I really like Mike Boynton. So, um, for me, it was like win-win both ways, but I understand where some of that hostility comes from for sure. So I want to talk about, as I mentioned before, your, your Twitter account is, is fantastic. And, and I've been, I've been following you for some time. I think even before I realized you were an OSU alum, I think you had mentioned it at one point. I was like, oh, well, shit. Um, <laughs> you, I believe the term the kids use these days is 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 don't have a problem. Clap back. Is that right? You yep. have a very strong personality on Twitter. And I mean that like in the best <laughs> way possible. Like you are funny and you are a riot and you don't take crap from people. And I have nothing but the utmost respect for that. But I, I do think that's something that is is harder for women in sports to to do um, than men. Men can do whatever they want, and it, you know, obviously, guys are like, uh-huh, whatever. 
Um, for as a as a female who has to cover sports, um, what is that? What is it like on social media for you? Do you, and how did you get to the point where you were able to to stand up to people and and just kind of be bold on, on a platform where let's be honest, trolls live. Yeah, um, I honestly I didn't get a Twitter till I was in college, um, and pretty quickly into my college experience at OSU, they emphasized how big social media was. Um, and just to put, to promote your products. I mean, you know, my coworkers now we talk about just, we always have our, our Twitter feeds up on at work because that's where people get their information. Now that's where, you know, as we found out this past week, that's where we learn who's going where in the NBA or any other sport. Um, that's where athletes can interact directly with, with their fans. And, um, on that same token, I've always, I've wanted to be known for good journalism and, um, telling the truth and working hard and things like that. But I also, you know, I think I have a, a personality, I have an intelligence, I have um, things that I don't want to necessarily hide. And I don't work in the type of journalism that requires the utmost unbiased um, presentation. So, you know, do I think um, that, you know, I need to show my personality, you know, to summarize that is, um, you know, some journalism, and journalists, they just want to, their work to speak for itself. But I think that, especially in TV, I want the viewer, when they look at me, when they see me on TV, one, I want it to be what they would see with me in person. You know, I don't want to be fun only in person and go on TV and turn into a robot. Um, but I think about all the journalism um, that I admire and, and a large part of why I admire certain um, people on TV is because I, I just feel comfortable. I feel like I'm getting their genuine self. I feel like um, you know, I could go get some coffee or a beer with them. And that's, that's always been my goal. And what I do is I want my viewers and the people that watch me to say, man, I really, I think I'd like her outside of, you know, if she wasn't on my TV, if she was here in front of me right now, you know, would, would she listen to me? Would she have good things to say? Um, would it be interesting? That's kind of always been my major thing. So with Twitter, you know, I, and I'll be honest, I've gotten in trouble with bosses before because, you know, on that same token, sometimes I say some things, controversial things, but um, I always try to keep perspective on whatever I put, um, especially in today's political climate um, and, and with the administration that we have right now. Um, I, I never want to offend, but I also don't want to hold back for fear that somebody doesn't like me. And um, that's kind of what, what birthed it. And I think also that, you know, men need to know that uh, we have opinions um, and they are just as valid as any of theirs. And there's no amount of words or phrases that you can throw at me that is going to stop me and make me want to not say what I say. You know, if you want to revert to name calling or whatever it may be on Twitter, we can we can do that. We can go back and forth with that. Um, at the end of the day, most of these guys would never say that to my face. So I'm never scared to to fire back with what I feel I would say to their face. Um, so it's kind of always just been my personality is, um, you know, and you can blame that probably on my parents, um, that I don't back down to anyone. I, I stand up for what I believe in and I don't make apologies because it makes someone uncomfortable or they disagree or they don't think it should be part of, part of who I am as a sportscaster. Um, that's just kind of always who I've been. It just has come more apparent because I have, like you said, trolls on Twitter that, you know, can bring it out. Right. So you obviously so you wrote for the Ocali while you were at Oklahoma State. 
what drew you toward maybe going toward the television route? Is it just because that's kind of the way things are moving digitally or what, what was kind of the thought process there? Um, I will, I will tell you, I, um, as much as I love OSU and I'm, and I'm still, I mean, we had a conversation, my professor and I, um, before I graduated and, and I had a job and things like that. And I said, do you remember when you told me I was making a mistake going into TV? And he said, yeah, I told you, you'd never make it. And I said, I remember that. And I still remember that. Um, because so, as, as many people see when they get in this business or they start, um, looking into this business in college, you see, there are some people that are just naturally good in front of a camera and not a lot shakes them. And I just wasn't that to begin with. So if you look at a lot of my college stuff, um, <laughs> it's, I am light years ahead of where I was. Um, but it was, it was kind of scary because with print, I felt like I had a lot of support from the print professors. Um, with that, you have some time to edit and really clean up uh, what you want to present. Uh, with TV, that was originally what I came. I'd always wanted to be on TV, and then I kind of maybe rethought it a little bit, went back into to print because I'd always been told my writing was strong um, and I had always been a strong point of mine. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll go the, the, the print route. Um, and then I got to a point in my junior year where I found a professor, uh, Andy Wallace, who said, no, you can do this. You're going you're gonna to have to work and um, you're going to have to be open to criticism and changing things. But you, you can. You have what it takes. You have the content. Now you just have to present it. So um, junior year was really the year that I started getting into TV. And um, But with that said, I am so thankful for the experience I had with print because what people don't realize, even with the highest level with ESPN and things like that, those people all write their own scripts. So, you know, a lot of people I see, students, interns that I meet now, they go, well, I'm not really a good writer. That's why I want to be on TV. And that's where I cut them off and go, then, then you're in the wrong profession. If you can't write uh, and you think that you just need to talk in this profession, that's totally wrong. You know, we write all our scripts. I write all, you know, when I call highlights, that's all me. Uh, when I post stories on the web to follow up with video, that's all me. Um, so if, if it was all up to me, I would say every TV journalist needs to go through at least one print class just to get it. But um, that's always been a strength of mine. And um, so I kind of got a little bit of the both, both of worlds in the sense that I still get to write a lot. Um, but now I just have to make sure I have a face full of makeup when I am on TV or in front of people now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. One last question before we get you out of here. Um, your Twitter profile says that you are an Oregon native with an intense love of football, pit bulls, and mashed potatoes. So let me just ask yep. this. What is the perfect uh, serving of mashed potatoes? Like, how should it be prepped? Um, well, I will say at no point in time, no matter how rough life gets, should you ever, ever use instant mashed potatoes. That Good. Yes, no, bad. Um, that, that in itself, <laughs> my friends, anyone who knows me knows, don't even talk about it in front of me. That's an abomination <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but my perfect mashed potatoes uh was that really my grandma she used to make the best and it's um it'll it'll clog your arteries arteries real quick but you gotta mm. use golden uh yukon potatoes no russets um you gotta use the gold uh you gotta use a ton of butter you gotta use a ton of sour cream and um if not sour cream some buttermilk um or i've seen greek yogurt is good um but that's my perfect and i will tell you my mom makes a separate bowl of mashed potatoes during the holidays when I see her because she knows that there's 
the servings for everyone else. And then there's Anissa's serving, which is its own pot by itself. And I will, I will take care of that. And no gravy. I don't need gravy. Um, I tell everyone too, that's another thing about Oklahoma. I said, Oklahomans will put gravy on anything. Mm -hmm. If it, if it can, if it can hold some gravy, there's gravy on it. And, um, gravy or ranch dressing, gravy or ranch dressing, something creamy on top is what Oklahomans love. And I won't say no to gravy, but I don't necessarily need it for a nice homemade bowl of mashed potatoes. Are you a, are you a skin in or skin out girl? Um, growing up I was, I needed them peeled. Um, but now, you know, you get a little more health conscious and that's actually where all the nutrients are is in the skin of potatoes. So I do do skin in the nice thing about the golden Yukon is that it's a very thin peel. So once it's cooked, it's not, you're not really chewing much. Um, yeah. It's soft on itself. So, um, yeah, I'm, I am the resident expert on mashed potatoes. I mean, you really can't go wrong with that. All right. So I do have one more question. So a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> as I was scrolling through your, your timeline a little bit, you got in a fight at the, as the office and started a debate about whether a hot dog and a sausage are the same thing. <laughs> Where did this debate start? And then secondly, is a hot dog a sandwich? Um. Well, so it was before the fourth. So our intern was actually in a hot dog eating contest. Um, and uh, working with men, uh, you have a certain sense of humor that I probably wouldn't have if it was all women. Um, and I made I made some joke about, you know, oh, our intern's name's Jordan. I said, oh, Jordan, you know, you excited for all those sausages in your face. And... Um, that's a taste, you know, I don't, I don't go on TV and give that type of humor, but that is my humor. And, oh, um, you should, you'd get so many job offers. <laughs> um, so he, uh, promptly started an argument that he said, well, hot dog's not a sausage. And so of course my sports director, Aaron jumped in and said, yeah, there are two different things. And I think there was a little bit of confusion and overlap of what, I, you know, I wasn't saying if you go to a restaurant and you say, I would like the sausage pasta that they're going to give you hot dogs, but is a baguette. Yes. Unless it's three and it's your Kraft macaroni and cheese. Um, but you know, my, my point was it is under definition of a, a sausage and where in the way it came about was sausage. Um, you know, baguette is still bread, even though we call it a baguette. Uh, so that was the argument that in, in, ensued. And uh, we even, we have a lot of fun at my sports department. We went on, you know, the air later and kind of referenced it a little bit. Um, the Twitter world overwhelmingly disagreed with me and said it's not a sausage. Um, I don't know what you would call it if it's not a sausage. Um, but I will say it is not a sandwich. Um, and my mom and I disagreed about this. My mom's a great cook. She's worked in the food industry almost her whole life. Um, she she said it well technically it's meat between two two bread things and I said well it's a split piece of bread honestly and you can do it with one so no it's not a sandwich um, but I you know if someone really wants to argue that it is I guess I can give that to them if it you know technically it's it's a sandwich I, I would say a hamburger for sure is a sandwich yes hot dog yes. is a little different a hot dog is a taco yeah a bread taco yeah it's the, I, I if, can, if a hot dog is a sandwich then a taco is a sandwich like. Yeah, I can jump on that one. I will argue, like I said, hamburger is a sandwich. Hot dog, I, I, yeah, I like a bread taco as the description. Yeah, hot dog is an American taco. That's what it is. Exactly. And you know, it's funny. Um, we had one of our news anchors. She said, "Oh, I disagree." We were on air, kind of joking around, 
And she said, oh, I disagree. And she's from Ontario. And so I told the Canadian to sit this one out with her. <laughs> I said, uh, thanks, thanks for your opinion, Hayden, but uh, you don't really count in this one. You know what? Keep You take your poutine and go sit in the corner. We're going to have a conversation about American food here. When we want to talk whether uh, Mrs. Butterworth is real maple syrup, then I'll invite you in. For your... <laughs> Until then, you know, sit over there. See, ladies and gentlemen, this is the kind of, of fantastic uh, attitudes you get from Anissa's Twitter account as well. Um, so for everybody who wants to follow the work you do and to follow your Twitter account, which I suggest everyone go do, uh, Anise, where can they do so? Um, on t- I'm on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. But Twitter's uh, well, you, where you'll see the most of me. It's at Anise McEwen, A-N-N-I-C-E-M-C-E-W-A-N. On Twitter, you can also see any of my videos or things that I post uh, on the web at wdrb.com slash sports. Um, and you can also, if if you really need to, go check out my uh, uh, my autobiography, as we call it, on the uh, on the website there as well. And I get I do give Oklahoma State a shout out. So that's awesome, Anise. I just want to say again, thank you so much. Uh, this has been awesome. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to talk since I followed you for a while. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I'm going to say I'm like I'm a fan, but I do appreciate the work you do, so it's been nice to get to talk with you. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Anise. It's been fantastic. Philip and I are now joined by our fearless leader over at Cowboys Ride for Free, site manager Micah Allen. She is here to talk to us, uh, and mainly Philip as well, because they got votes in the preseason All Big 12 poll, which is pretty cool. Uh, hey yo. Yeah. Hey yo. Yeah, Micah, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you kind of run the site, so at. at- She's like, thanks for having me. When let's be honest, she like forced her way onto the show. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, only Lies. a little bit. Lies. If you see that, th- saw the things that she posted in our Slack chat, it's, you know, it's mean. She's very. Don't mean. expose me. Don't rude. <laughs> so we'll just start with. So take us kind of. I want to know where you guys fell like on your ballot. You know, how did you go about making your picks? We'll start with Micah first. Um, I, I did pretty okay. I got two out of, no, yes, I got two out of the three superlatives right. I got Offensive Player of the Year and Newcomer of the Year with Sam Allinger and Jalen Hurts. And then I did pretty well on offense. Um, defense was kind of where I wavered from others, apparently, um, but overall, I'm pretty proud of myself, so <laughs> I got pretty close. Yeah, okay, so we will uh, we will post ours, like, on Twitter. I've been waiting to post mine on Twitter just because I wanted to, like, talk about it here, and we talked about it on, on the 10-12, which was on Wednesday's episode. Um, just when it goes up, let me just... I met Jalen Hurts on my newcomer of the year. I wrote Jalen Hurd. It was a very busy week. There was a lot going on. <laughs> I meant the right pick. I just wrote the wrong name down. Forgive me. Okay. It happens. Um, 
I, I look. I mean, the, the the two spots I had the most the difficulty with was the offensive line, which is where I was very different from what finally came out, and and defensive line, which I only had one off. I was pretty proud of. I had every DB. All my DBs made the made the list. Uh, linebacker was the other one I had on it. Like I had Kenneth Murray, but I did I did not have the other two um, at all. And I there's one of them that I just omission I thought was a bit egregious, but we can we can talk about that. But otherwise, yeah, I had I had Ellinger and Hertz as my and then defensive player of the year. That's the other one. Like, okay, let's just start there. I want to start there. Defensive player of the year is Kenneth Murray, who plays for OU. That means o- Oklahoma's defense. I, I I can't imagine he won by a large margin because of the polls that I uh, of the of the list that I have seen people post on social media, none of them had Kenneth Murray. I, I just had an OU guy that I talked to for a 10 12 episode for Friday that that was like, yeah, that's a that was a terrible pick. Like even he thought that was a terrible defensive player of the year pick. So I can't imagine that it was a landslide. I get the feeling a lot of names were put in there and somehow Kenneth Murray came out on, came out on top. Like I'm not saying he's not a really, really good player with the NFL potential. I'm just, you know, it's OU's defense. Yeah, so we're talking about OU's defense here, and even though he is the best player on that defense, that doesn't necessarily say a lot. You know, but in the grand scheme of things, like I feel like trying to pick a defensive player of the year in the Big Twelve was kind of a crapshoot to begin with. But yes, see, so they gotta they gotta have a name up there, throw some shit up there, see what sticks. But you know, I, I don't know. But so just yeah. I mean, I had I had Caden Stearns. That's so I, I Caden Stearns was a good that that would be a good pick there. But you know, the and I've seen some other people who had him. Um, I've seen. But again, I, I've seen a few different things. I've seen some Stearns. I've seen a few others. I think it was just kind of a crapshoot. And I think somehow Murray just came out with the most, which, again, it's not to dog him as a player. But, yeah, no. 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 Yeah. We'll see if that if that actually ends up being the pick. Because who, who votes on, like, the, uh, the, the postseason list? Is that AP? It's the coaches. Or yeah, coaches. well... Yeah, the all big twelve. That's the coaches, right? Yes. Okay, we'll see how they end up voting. But yeah, I don't like that pick either. The other one, the other egregious one to me was so linebacker. Uh, the the guys who made it were obviously Kenneth Murray, um, Marcel Spears Jr. of Iowa State, and Clay Johnson of Baylor. Um, I had Murray or Mike Rose of Iowa State, whatever. But Jordan Brooks of Texas Tech not making the preseason team is egregious like sorry like i don't nothing against clay johnston but i don't think clay johnston is better than jordan brooks i just i don't i don't i don't know how brooks didn't make the list at all i don't yeah i i agree with you there i didn't have him but i could definitely think that he should have probably made it over clay johnston I don't have much of an opinion here. <laughs> I mean, tr- truly because I just, I haven't gotten into football mode yet. If I'm being completely honest with you guys, <laughs> I will hear and, it in about a month, but I got, I got, we're still in the middle of baseball season here. People stop acting like baseball doesn't exist. Damn it. <laughs> we're in the, we're truly in the offseason. There are no sports. For, oh no, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's insulting. Uh, WNBA is going on and the women's soccer is going on. And I don't mean to woke just, up like, like they the women's actually like, no, no, no. I mean like women, w- world cup just wrapped, but then 
the women's professional soccer in the U.S. is still going on, and WNBA is going on. Outside of that, I can't, I don't, I can't think of any sports currently act going on that are relevant. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, so the three guys that made it for Oklahoma State, uh, Chuba Hubbard, Tylan Wallace, and A.J. Green, uh, they were the three all uh, preseason selections. Did you guys have uh, all three of them? Did you have any more? Who did you have from Oklahoma State on your ballot? Those three. Because, yeah, <laughs> I feel like those are pretty obvious choices. I agree. Even, yeah. even not looking at it with orange tinted glasses. <laughs> um, yeah, I had all three of those. I did have one more, and it was a, a little bit of a reach, but I have a justification. I actually had Marcus Keys among my offensive linemen. And my justification for that is, if you remember two years ago, he finished the year as a first-team all-Big 12 offensive lineman. He started last season as a preseason all-Big 12 offensive lineman. And I know he had a rough year last year. The offensive line as a whole wasn't awesome. Um, I think people are kind of discounting what he could be this year. So I went ahead and put him in just to try and get a little bit of recognition, mostly because I think I think with Charlie Dickey running the offensive line now, and no offense to Josh Henson, the guy could recruit his brains out and was a good coach. But I think I trust Dickey in developing offensive linemen a little bit more. And I think he's going to have a bounce back here. Yeah, I agree there. I think that was something we talked about off air before we recorded the last episode of the pod, uh, talking about Marcus keys. And I think he's a guy that I think, I think you're right. I mean, obviously he's had the pedigree all conference a couple of years ago, preseason last year, but I think, you know, he's definitely a guy that could bounce back and have another, have a really good year again this year. Hopefully the offensive line takes a big step forward. And I'm sure Charlie Dickey is going to be a big reason why that would happen. I mean, really, for the offensive line with a new position coach, you just don't want them to take another step back. Right. Like, as long as, even if it's status quo, like, that's not great. You'd like to see improvement. Um, but with a new position coach and a new offensive coordinator and, and some things you're learning, as long as they don't take, take a step back this year, I think that's good. Yeah, absolutely. So just something I, I was just thinking about this as we were looking for this. Thinking about trying to flash forward – to the end of the season, we're looking at the postseason poll. Who do you do you see? Still see Hubbard, Wallace, and Green on this list. And secondly, who's another guy from Oklahoma State that you think could make their way onto the All Conference list? I can see Chuba and Tylen definitely being on the list at the end of the year. AJ is kind of iffy for me because he he has he he has these streaks of brilliance but then there comes other games where it's like what are you doing so it kind of just depends on if he can shake off some of those bad games um and just have kind of that consistent consistently good play all season so much of and and i will agree on chuba and wallace but i really do think aj green unless some young guys just come out of just kind of pop this year on other teams. AJ Green is one of the best returning was one of the best corners in the big 12 this year. Like when he is allowed to play physical, he is one of, if not top couple lockdown corners in the big 12, like period. But that's only when he's allowed to play physical. When he, when you get into that, like, Oh, they touched each other it's penalty. Yeah. He's going to get a lot of flags thrown at him. And as long as he cleans up the, some of those penalties. And I think that that's something that will have been a, a focus for him in this offseason is kind of paying attention to what how the refs are calling the game and, and, and how things are going. 
uh, but I just watching him like he's one of the best corners in the Big Twelve, like period. And, and the only reason I see him not making it is someone else at another team is just just has a just has a really good year, shows up and grabs six intercept, you know, four intercept and six is a bit over the top, four interceptions and just and just shuts some guys down. Um, but I think AJ Green's should be there at the end of the year. Yeah, I I, I agree that I think Green could be, you know. One way or the other, I don't think he's definitely a lock for a postseason, but I do think there's a good chance, especially if he has that stretch, like a stretch of brilliance, like he had. If he can have last season, if he can have that over a longer period of time, I think he's an all-conference guy. I think Chuba and Tylen are just locks, absolutely. Um, I'm all aboard the Chuba train. I think he's gonna, you know, make himself known as one of the best running backs in the conference this year, especially if he's used correctly. And I'm curious how Sean Gleason decides to use him. Uh, out of the backfield as a receiver or just giving him the ball straight. He's great between the tackles, even as a speed guy. But the minute you give him any sort of space, he's gone. So it's going to be really fun to watch. And then obviously Tylen being one of the best receivers in the country, he's pretty much a lock for an all-conference selection. The other the other thing to look at is someone – I mean, Oklahoma State is basically replacing their, their entire defensive line. You've got a lot of – I'm curious what other defensive player is vying for first team, if not second team at the end of the year. And I think here's the question. Can Calvin Bundage keep himself put together for an entire season? Because he has the talent and ability to be one of the best in the conference if he can stay out of his own way and not make knuckleheaded decisions. And, you know, so much of, I think, the penalties and some of the just kind of goofiness of last year, Gundy has admitted that he kind of took his foot off the pedal and doesn't, wasn't paying close enough attention and that he is, re, you know, reinvigorated and, and, and really locked in this season. And I think that led to a lot of the penalties that dealt with, especially on defense and, and learning the new system with Jim Knowles. So in year two of Jim Knowles, a, a re-locked-in Gundy can that help keep Calvin Bundage in line? Because if it does, Bundage to me is the other guy I look at and go, if someone's going to have a first team All Big 12 kind of season, it's him. Yeah. And I've, I've heard him talked about as a, a dark horse come from behind for Big 12, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. I don't know if that's going to happen, but. It's never been a question of talent. It's just yeah. a question of can he not yeah. can he stay focused and locked in and not uh, to quote get out of his world. And healthy. get out of his box. I think that's the right quote. There you go. There you, well, that you know. Gundy's quote was get out of his world, right? Was it get out of his world? I don't know. He always mm-hmm. talks about when guys are doing too much, they're getting out of their box, I think is Oh, there you go. It. Okay. Point is if there's one guy on the roster I think really has a potential and the talent to do it, it's him. The question is, can he? Yeah. I think a sneaky guy to look for on defense as well, especially if he plays the way he did toward the end of the season, is Colby Peel. He, we saw him in the last couple of games, and especially in the bowl game, he made the game-saving tackle. But overall, he looked like he really got comfortable there. And as a true freshman starting in a complicated defense, we saw what he was able to do toward the end of the year. And I think he, if he continues to take that step forward, he could be a guy that could sneak in there somewhere in that DB. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a first-team guy, but I think maybe in that second team, I think he's a guy to look for that can be an all-conference selection on the defense as well. Yeah, I agree with you there for sure. 
that and I want to see Tom Hutton become the, the punter and not the dude from Kansas. We know the dude from Kansas is going to get a lot of time punting on the field, but I think Tom, <laughs> I think Tom Hutton is another guy to look for because that dude hits bombs. I'm, I'm excited. Well, that he's, he's mature. Oh, yeah. Dude. Here's the thing. If you remember um, the Texas kicker who got drafted by Seattle. Michael, Michael Dixon. The, okay, so – Remember Dixon's like first season? It's that year where OSU and Texas played, and, and he missed like so many bad kicks that helped give Oklahoma State the win. Yeah, I think Hutton's going to be. I don't know that he'll be that bad in year one. I am curious how he looks in year one. I do think long term, he has the potential to to be first team All Big Twelve. Like I really do. Um, I, I watched his video too. He's he's older. He's mature. He's smart. Um, he's, he's got a heck of a leg. It's just a question of, you know, it's, it's one thing to do it at pro kick. It's a whole nother thing to actually do it in games. Uh, and so I'll be curious to see kind of where he starts at the beginning of the year as far as where, where he is at and, and how far he can progress. Micah, can I chime in? I mean, I, I agree with both of you. I think that, Colby Hill could definitely sneak his way in there. And I also agree with you on hoping that Tom Hutton can just surprise everybody and shock everybody and be awesome. Also, side note, that was the most subtle Kansas is bad at football joke I think I've ever heard. (laughs) It wasn't that subtle. It wasn't that subtle. Their punters get a lot of time on the field. (laughs) Almost more time than the receivers. Oh, man. Who knows? I don't know. Do you guys have any other – do you guys have any other thoughts just as, as in regards to the list that came out? I mean, I don't have – it's preseason stuff. Like, I, a lot of times, people are going to get more upset with the preseason poll that comes out. Like, we're talking at 12.30 on, on Wednesday. It comes out at 2. So, it's going to come out after we have recorded this. But, like, people are going to get more mad about the poll than they are the first team. Do we want to talk about what we had for that? Yeah, bring it. We're, okay. we're, let's, let's finish with that. It's perfect. We'll end those. People can get mad at us for our, for our poll. Okay. So I had OU, Texas, Iowa State, OSU, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas State, West Virginia, and Kansas. Oh, okay. Um, we agree on one through four, OU, Texas, <laughs> Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Uh, but then I have TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas State, Kansas. Uh, and let me explain. I don't think there's going to be much of a difference between OSU, TCU, and Baylor this year, record-wise. I think it's kind of a jumbled mess. I think Texas Tech will be good under Matt Wells in year one, mostly because of David Yost, and will make a bowl game. Um, I think don't think Matt Wells is going to work out long term. But and then, man, West Virginia, Kansas State, and Kansas. Oh, ugh, ugh, ugh. <laughs> I, uh, 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 seven bowl teams in the Big Twelve. Seven. Seven. Okay. Seven. That's my prediction is seven. OU, Texas, Iowa State, OSU, TCU, Baylor, and Texas Tech. That's how, my... How many wins are you thinking for the bottom of the barrel there with West Virginia, K-State, and KU? I haven't done that part yet. Like, I need to go through and actually, like, tally who I think what records are. Um, a little bit of it's just from what I know of the schedules and, and, and what I think. Like, I think Texas Tech's six and six. I think everyone underneath that's, like, four wins, three wins two wins like i just i don't see a lot like kansas yeah kansas state year one mm, uh like 
Kansas, Kansas State might be the best opportunity for either one of those teams to get a conference win this year. And West Virginia, like Neil Brown is such a good coach. I think the cupboard's not completely bare, but there ain't a lot in it. Like I could see him coaching them up to a few wins that they shouldn't get. Maybe a couple, you know, over Kansas State and Kansas. I just, I don't know. And I just, I see that middle of the pack of OSU, TCU, and Baylor. Like that just looks like a whole lot of eight and four ties. Same. I just, yeah. I think Neil Brown and Chris Kleiman will work out there long-term at both West Virginia oh, yeah. and State, but just this year, it's not there. Les Miles, who knows? I I, I just can't wait to hear what this dude's going to say at media days. And I know y'all will be there to see so it. I'm so excited. <laughs> like, literally, I grew up an LSU fan when Miles was there because my dad's from Louisiana, and, like, this is, like, big for me. I'm excited to get to get his press conference. So, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Since since Mike and I are both going to be at Media Days, uh, uh, Mike is there on behalf of Cowboys Right for Free. I'm actually going on behalf of Land Grant Gauntlet and uh, my podcast. And and I've been talking to some guys who've done it before, which is really interesting. Um, so Micah, I'm curious just how brave you are because as I've been told, the best time to talk to the, to get questions to the coaches is not when you have a chance to individually. It's there when they're standing up post, like during the press conference and they open the floor to questions. Are you ready to stand up and ask a question like Micah Allen, Cowboys ride for free. <laughs> what do you think about da, 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 da? Yes. Yes. We're going to go just, with yes. Just remember the run thing. Do not, do not, do the um, please talk about. We don't ask. Please talk about questions. That's for morons and noobs. We do not. We do not ask those questions. I. I mean, I might. I, I probably. I probably won't in the first press conference. I might just kind of sit and watch in the first one. But definitely, as the day goes on, I will definitely ask more questions. But I want a a little bit of a preview here from both of you. Who is besides Gundy? Who is the one coach you want to ask a question to? And what do you think that question will be? Hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. I have a feeling I'm going to ask a lot of recruiting questions because I really want to ask Gundy about the calendar, the new calendar and how he feels it's going so far. Um, But yeah. it's tricky because they can't talk about specific players. Um, I would love to ask Lincoln Riley, you know, they have, is it, he, they, who is it? They've got to recommit who's basically said he's still considering Texas. Like I'm committed to OU, but I'm still considering Texas. Like how do you handle and feel about guys who go ahead and commit, but then, I mean, it, we can talk about the Gundy thing. Like, go ahead and commit, but then still continue to take official visits and still talk publicly about the, the other schools are still in contention, despite the fact that they have committed to you. How do, how does that work? How do you feel about that? And how does how do you balance your balance recruiting um, with a guy who may or may not actually stick? I'm still trying to think of mine, but I like that. I like that question. Yeah. I like. God, can you- I like. <laughs> I like the recruiting angle too. I just, I, I'm just still picturing, dude. I'm committed to OU, but I'm still considering Texas. That's just that doesn't work. That's just not like, how the, any of this works. 
It's not how it's supposed to work, but it's how it does. And we, you know, and nowadays we've swung so far in the other direction that players should be able to do whatever they want. And I'm like, yeah, but no, you, like, but like when to you some commit, extent, how committed are you? Is pretty much. Well, I don't commit. Like, why I are you committing? Commit. Like, well, because some schools really pressure them to because they. I'm like, okay, well, don't commit. If you're that good, you have all that power. Don't commit yet. But like, why are you committing? I don't. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't get that either. It's like, like, like I, it, I don't know. I, like I'm very torn on a lot of it. Cause like I, okay, we're getting way into the weeds here on yeah. topics. That I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to go down a rabbit hole. Cool. I was just curious who else you guys wanted to talk to or wanted to talk about with some of these coaches. When you have the opportunity, you might as well take it, right? Oh, so this isn't yeah. this isn't one that I probably would. I, I would probably ask Lincoln Riley what his secret is <laughs> with quarterbacks. I mean, just he's taken... Just being offensive savant like he is, I guess? I, I don't know. Like, can I, yeah, can I just like... ask Tom Herman why he's such a douche? Is that allowed? <laughs> I don't think that's allowed. I don't think that's allowed. But I, I think if you if you say it politely enough, I think you might get a good pop from the room. Like You gotta figure out how seven. to phrase that. <laughs> I, I just want to know, like, I'm just curious, why are you such a douchebag? <laughs> Does being a douchebag help you on the recruiting trail, or do you find that it hinders you in some little area? <laughs> Ask Tom Herman. So is Texas back? We're really getting into the weeds now, but this has been a fun <laughs> conversation. Um, so just, just, just heads up for everybody who listens to the pod. Next week will be a little bit weird since me and Micah will be there, and we will probably – I mean, we're going to record some stuff while we're there. So next week's pod is going to be a little bit different. Because if you think I'm not going to record on the field at Jerry World, <laughs> I'm going to. I'm very excited for that. And, yeah, I completely butchered that ending there. And I'm keeping this in so that everyone realizes how much of an imbecile they am, and I don't know why they still listen to me. Well, that's why we're not sending you. We're sending Mike. Exactly. Exactly. You trust me? You're a fearless leader. We're forced to trust you. <laughs> she says it like, oh, you, you guys trust me? While she was in the Slack chat, just being like, none of you bitches are going anywhere near media days. It's mine. All mine. I I did not say that. I asked Maybe not in that way. <laughs> I asked if anybody else was interested. All right. Well, yeah, with like a clenched fist raised up, like any of you want to come to Media Days? Hmm, thinking about it. I actually fought all of you in a death match in one, so Man. you're actually talking to everyone else from the graves because it was a battle royale and I beat them all. Well, this is a wild podcast. This just got really <laughs> weird here. Um, but yeah, so like I said, we will have more content about Media Days and all that from Micah and Philip. We'll all record something and. I will just sit back and let them talk about it because obviously I'm recording from my guest bedroom in Stillwater. So uh, I don't have much to, to add other than stuff I see on Twitter. And if you yeah. have any ideas of things that you want to see from Big 12 Media Days, let us know at CowboysRFF. <laughs> <laughs>